Do you know what nemesis means? Hello and welcome to Direct, the podcast that takes a direct trajectory through a director's filmography. I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Shot of the Dead is the movie we watched this week. Levi, in 30 seconds or less, please give me your review of Shaun of the Dead. I love it. Like, I love mm-hmm. all the movies we've done so far. And Good. I think that going from Tarantino to Edgar Wright is such a fantastic transition. Yeah. I feel like we're seeing somebody who learned some of the things from Tarantino. And we're seeing... You know, it's just the it's the next generation of that kind of director. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. I, I I have it in my notes here, and we'll get to it. But I do I saw like almost direct homages to Tarantino, and Tarantino is a type of director that enables Edgar Wright to make a movie like this because of kind of Tarantino's along with like Soderbergh and some other directors in the early '90s coming through and doing that indie movie revolution. I would venture to guess that you know Edgar Wright may not find his his niche without uh, Tarantino kind of laying that pathway, and I, I I did see some some homages there, so that made me real excited. Uh, I I love this movie too. I love it. It's yeah, such, I, I'm, <laughs> we're just so burnt. I'm just so burnt out on zombie movies at this point mm-hmm. in life that it's great to go back to that time when. You know, the other Dawn of the Dead, I went back, I watched the old Dawn of the Dead this week because... You mean by the been... old one, you meant 2004? <laughs> no, I mean like 1978. Okay. I just wanted to clarify. Um, with, uh, is it George Miller? Shit. No, I feel That's bad George though. Romero, George sir. George Romero. Sorry. I've been, I've had George Miller on the brain from all the Mad Max stuff. Um, Everybody loves Romero. George Romero, 1978. So good. And... I think that Edgar Wright has, in a lot of ways, kind of transferred the the themes just so well hmm. in the sense of, like, you go back and watch the old one, and even Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead did this well, too. You know, the, the idea of, cons- you know, kind of harassing consumerism yeah. and what that's led to. And you watch this movie, and this is very much kind of a romantic zombie movie but there are moments and there's the lifestyle of ed and sean that kind of their slothful nature i guess yeah absolutely complacency you know that is in some ways related to that consumerism i just think it's it's fantastic it's so it's an homage in the theme that kind of scores the background of this whole thing. Cause it's not about the zombies. Yeah. Zombies are just like an environment. Right. And exactly. And the like best zombie movie... movies are character movies. Yeah. You know, we talked about Kurosawa and how kind of like the background of Kurosawa's movies, there's always like a windstorm or a rainstorm or some very kinetic weather event happening outside, but it's all about the characters inside. And I feel like that's what great zombie movies do is that they use the zombies as almost a weather, like you said, like part of the environment. (laughs) And the real story is inside, and it's about how these people are dealing with this shit. I And also, Levi, let's get into it. I'm going to make a note here. I want to talk about the zombie lore in this movie because uh, I think the only things that I have trouble with in this movie are the zombie lore. And and I'm probably being way too serious about it. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you have to suspect. You know, the the willful sense suspension of disbelief is, uh, you know, a theater and a movie, yeah, uh, trope where you're supposed to kind of, you know, you let go with Star Wars. You don't try and really figure <laughs> out how a lightsaber is going to work because that's mm-hmm. not going to play out. Absolutely, this, this hey, movie I requires take- a zombie suspension of disbelief. Yeah, I think so. I do want to take a quick detour here, bad, because I've been getting deep into criticism of the uh, prequels of Star Wars. Yeah, and I it bothers me so much now every time I see a Sith with a red lightsaber, because at the end of Empire Strikes Back, the Emperor sees Luke's lightsaber and he says Jedi weapon. Like lightsabers are Jedi weapons, and the only reason why Darth Vader has a lightsaber is because he was a Jedi, and then he made it red because he was evil. But he started as a Jedi. Most dark side Sith don't start as Jedi, so they wouldn't have lightsabers. Anyway, wow. I'm gonna. I th- I know that wow came out a little sarcastically, but no, mm-hmm. that is actually now all I'm gonna think about. For we're gonna sit here and talk, but in the back of my brain. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna be, but Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright are the perfect people to talk about Star Wars around because I, know. I started watching some of, uh, oh, it's not Sliders. What the heck was the name of their show that I watched and now spaced, I spaced. And there's yeah. so many Star Wars references thrown. I know throughout that show, it's really good. It's a lot <laughs> of fun, and it's so cool to see that transition. You can see them without a budget, and now you can see them with one, and it's awesome. The translation is. So little is lost. Yeah, I think they were doing what they do now. Then, I don't know. It's it's impressive that they've managed to maintain that. I was I was just thinking about that right as I was plugging in my microphone to come talk about Edgar Wright. Is just how quickly for me, and I want to talk about it next week in Hot Fuzz, but just a little teaser for the listeners. Just how quickly he became a director to watch. It took him like two films, and I think that's a that's a similarity between him and Tarantino. Is that like it took two movies, and then you're like, I gotta watch everything this guy makes because it's stylized, it's his, uh, and it's it's a unique voice, and I wanna I wanna experience what he does next. Um, and he does such a good job with these with this genre film. Um, I do want to talk about this though, Levi, because you brought it up. The uh, it was so hard for me. The first time I saw this movie, I was 19. Now I'm 30. So. I basically am like the age of Sean in this movie. And I feel like that makes me experience this movie very differently than I experienced it when I watched it when I was 19. When I was 19, I was like all about it as like a cool filmmaker doing his thing and all this stuff. And now I'm like, oh man, this this is resonating. (laughs) Because I feel like the zombie metaphor is really really well played and i mean we're talking about a movie that was made almost 14 years ago uh where he wakes up and he stumbles into the room and he yawns like a zombie and then you see ed there on the couch playing video games and then they're both staring off into nothing we are a generation that was raised on television and if you want to see anybody imitate a zombie just watch them while they're watching television so that kind of those themes that resonate to me now as they as they didn't resonate resonate to me when I was like a nineteen year old and I was young and fresh and I had the world as where the world was my oyster and today that oyster's been slurped down and pooped out and now I'm just uh trying to make it through, trying to claw my way through this place we call reality. Way to 
really just bring that down. Do you feel like Ed and Sean would have had a podcast? <laughs> would they have at least been able to pull that off? This is what if I like. That well, was I feel thing? like I feel like they were like pseudo DJs. I don't know if that was. It was kind of ended. <laughs> like I feel like Sean the four like, a.m. electronic. Yeah, maybe he maybe he like DJed a wedding once or something. <laughs> but I do think about that because Levi was at a I was at a, a friend's house this week. And I was talking to her. She was really interested in like my podcasting history and like how I got into podcasting and how she might get into podcasting. And my whole thing about it is like I've been podcasting for fucking five years now. So like I I'm like a fifth year senior in pot in my podcasting degree. Uh, and don't worry, listener, if you can't notice, it's because I don't take it that seriously. But uh, but it's kind of crazy to me. Like I feel like. We do live in kind of this geek culture, nerd culture world that we love and we encompass, and it's wonderful. But I feel like you and me and a certain mindset with a certain subset within that geek culture world, we need our outlets, or else we just become Sean and Ed in this movie. Uh, and I mean outlets beyond like Reddit comments, like a podcast, or like it comes to mind cosplayers, like they they get into something, or you know people who you know go out and build a board gaming table or whatever. You know, there's these things that that help cement us and give us uh, some kind of some sense of responsibility outside of our jobs. We don't get paid for this, but we just do it for fun. Uh, and I think it allows us to connect with people and have a goal and a mission and a drive that prevents us from sinking into the couch and grabbing our uh, controller and, and staring off into space. I mean, that's I why you, you feel that way. That's why you hit me up about this podcast was you your old one had, was finished and mm-hmm. you had kind of knocked everything else off your to do list. Yeah, and it, you needed some. I think that's. I think there are just people that need that. That just you gotta. <laughs> You do need that outlet or you go docile and that's yeah. really not. But I I think that that's actually a feeling everybody has and the degree to which mm. you fight and which, which you are capable of fighting because I think there are a lot of factors that go into uh, stopping you from or making it difficult to chase your extracurriculars because it, yeah. it requires a certain level of – income and access to true you know whether it's technology or skills or the ability to learn and you have to have that free time on top of that you have a kid you know super young and you know that kind of suck that starts to absorb a lot of time so absolutely i think we're we're lucky in the sense that we have kind of the the perfect storm that allows us to to have these outlets and to and to chase after them you know, I agree, so. man. I mean, you you have to be at a certain level in the hierarchy of needs to have a podcast. Like, <laughs> podcast is like, but you have like actualization, and then you have Wi-Fi, and then you have, uh, and then you have Netflix, and then you have a podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> not to say that I'm fully actualized at all, but uh, but you're right, man. And it's weird. I've been actually been thinking about this, about like how this is getting like deep, man. I love how Shaun of the Dead is bringing out deep conversation, but like, I think about like how fucking guilty I feel that I like have the life I have and I have an awesome apartment. I have an awesome family. I have, uh, you know, I'm very happy and content and I get to come home and like turn on sports center and chill out and podcast with my buddy and do a little bit of graphic design and chill out. I feel so fucking guilty about that. 
and maybe that maybe there's something in this movie that's like the comeuppance for the for the zombie-esque lifestyle that we live as extremely privileged Americans in this world. I love the the Louis C.K. observation that that like in order to be like a white thirty-year-old American with a podcast, you have to like you have to be so evil because. <laughs> Your life consists of a bunch of other people living shitty, shitty lives. And maybe that's something that makes zombies, zombie movies and zombie stories interesting is because we live, we as Americans, we just create this comfortable ball to live in. And yet at some point there seems to be with overwhelming guilt when you understand what that ball is actually made of. Maybe there is some some kind of comeuppance that, that realizes itself in a zombie film. Um, Did I bum you out? <laughs> What's funny is I'm thinking I'm thinking ahead to uh, at at World's End, mm-hmm. and it's not like the themes get any brighter, right? The whole series is, I think it's Edgar Wright's great talent, and I don't think we had any kind of philosophical debate about lifestyle and life choices over Quentin Tarantino. He made some stellar right. movies, but. We watched one Edgar Wright movie and we're questioning what we do with our free time <laughs> and our consumerist nature. It's yeah. it's fascinating that he's able to wrap so much around a, a goofy zombie movie, you know? And I know. It, it, that's the thing about Edgar Wright's movies that I enjoy. Like Tarantino, popcorn flicks, entertainment value through the roof. Great way to spend two and a half hours for just like turning off your brain and turning on Tarantino's world. It's an interesting place to live for a couple hours. Edgar Wright instills in that same kind of, you know, you know, slam bang, wonderful, entertaining visual uh, storytelling. He interjects a ton of heart into it and some guilt and some sadness and friendship and love. And it all gets into this emotional ball that you honestly, you don't really find it in Tarantino. So, God, man, didn't think I was going to start the podcast. Yeah, like that. <laughs> but it's something to watch for. And I'm curious to yeah. see where Edgar Wright goes in the. Even Scott Pilgrim, you know, has some questions about, you know, what you do with your life. Yeah, who you choose to be with, and why you choose to be with that people, and what you're willing to do for that. Yeah, this is gonna. I'm so excited <sighs> to just character and the best part the movie was 140 minutes yeah holy cow cooked by it was baby so nice to sit down and be like <laughs> i don't it's not a two and a half hour commitment yeah it was a little minimum. refreshing coming out of tarantino to like just watch a hundred minute rip roaring adventure film <sighs> wonderful oh. wonderful well let's get into some filmmaking stuff man yeah where do you want to start because i mean it's all they're so many yeah. fronts we can approach this from. Well, I love the opening. Let's just start with the opening. One of the things I love is the opening track in this movie is Ghost Town, which is a movie that was in one of my formative movies as a film fan. Because I grew up pretty sheltered in terms of like going and seeing R-rated movies. And I feel like it was like a self-imposed thing that I imposed on myself. <laughs> That's what self-imposed means. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Because, like, when I was, like, I remember distinctly going to Jurassic Park when I was seven years old, and my dad took me to that movie. It's a PG-13 movie with dinosaurs ripping people apart, 
and he had no problem taking me to it because I love dinosaurs. Like, I feel like there was this weird world that I was like trying to, uh, I don't know, uh, protect myself from R-rated films. But then when I hit about 15 or 16, I think I saw Pulp Fiction and then it blew my blew my world open. But one of the movies that I really loved during that era was Snatch. You and I probably watched Snatch together because I think I watched Snatch like 30 times, the Guy Ritchie movie. <laughs> yeah, you were the one that introduced me to that movie. And I think yeah. that kind of started the ball rolling for me. Yeah, and and I you know, it's I don't know, man. I haven't seen it in a while, but that is a movie that I have it's near and dear to my heart. Uh and I feel like it's gonna be a movie that in like twenty years nobody's gonna know about and I'll be like, Hey, have you seen Snatch? It's pretty good. It'll be like <laughs> it'll be like, I don't know, what it, insert random early eighties movie here. The old man uh, Walkless podcasts. Yeah. Where you give your you give the same movie recommendations every week because you forgot what you said the week before. Yeah, it'll be it'll be called Snitching on Snatch. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be 60 years old, and I'll just podcast about Snatch every week. Anyway, the only the only tie to this is that that's a British independent movie, and this is also a British independent movie, and they both feature the song Ghost Town, because I love the Snatch soundtrack, and I immediately remembered it. That's where I recognize the song from. Yeah, yeah, and... Um, and it's cool, and the, and the thing that I think it bleeds into from a filmmaking perspective is the diegetic music that Edgar Wright uses. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really endemic throughout the movie, but he still uses it, he still uses music, you know, especially in a horror theme sense, to like get jump scares and to build tension. He still uses orchestral music, but most of the uh, lyric music is all practical in this movie, and secondly, the thing that I love about it is that it paints characters, which I think is really, really cool. Or it, you know, it does the two things that you're supposed to do it with any anything added to a film. You're supposed to move the plot forward or develop a character, and the music helps do, do that throughout the movie, which I which I think is really cool. Like in this opening scene, it introduces us to the jukebox, and the jukebox gets called back to like th- uh, another two times in the movie at the Winchester. Um. So I, I thought that was really cool. Um, the next time that we're at the Winchester and we hear the jukebox, it's right after uh, Sean gets broken up with. And the, <laughs> I don't... Oh, what was the song? I don't remember the song. Um, but it's a breakup song. It's like, you know, I can't live without you or whatever. <laughs> and and Ed goes, who put that on? And Sean goes, it's, it's on, on random. random. Yeah, or it was the other way around. And then the third time we get the iconic scene that everybody loves with the Queen song, and the line is repeated one more time: "Who put that on? It's on random." Um, so I, I just love how it introduces us to the jukebox, and I love the practical music in this movie. And there's so many. I love the the callbacks, like talking about like the "It's on random." There's so many kind of call and response moments yes. in the movie. Um, even like back at the start when the roommate is chewing out Ed and he yeah. calls him an idiot and he's like, what's that supposed to mean? And then he <laughs> turns to Sean and he goes, the only reason you hang out with him is because you want somebody who's a bigger loser than you. And he goes, what's that supposed to mean? Like just, yeah. they're just little moments where he just, he's, and he cycles back really wide sometimes like the jukebox. Yeah. And then in just those little moments where, you know, it's almost kind of like a, a weird double take through dialogue. Yeah. Um, 
that just no, it, the re- the repeat is so is it's used a lot. It's also used when Sean is on the phone and he's talking to his mom and he's like, "Did you get bit?" And she goes, "No, your dad did." And he goes, "Oh, okay, he's not my dad." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I don't remember what his name was. Uh, and then uh, and then Ed goes, "What did your mom get bit?" And she goes, "No, it was my, it was my stepdad." And he goes, "Oh, okay." Like this that you, repeat. And did you notice the music was used comedically here because. As he's asking his mom, did you get bit? It's the tent. They're rationing up the orchestral tension. And it's like, no, it was your dad. And immediately it cuts out. And yeah. then it starts to ratchet up again. And so it's just the the waves of this movie uh, between comedy and tension are just so – it's just set so – like Liz wanted to know as we she watched the start of it, she kind of – noped out when it started to get gory but uh-huh the the start drove her nuts she was like when are we gonna see zombies and then she's looking in the background she's like is that a zombie i'm like i honestly don't know that might just yeah. be a homeless guy they kind of screw with you yeah but that it really drew her attention to the surroundings because then she's starting to to watch and then when he comes out after the zombies start after it's like really hit and he goes into the the little bodega the little shop and like yeah. he opens the door there's the handprints he calls it and he slips and they don't even show you blood on the floor i know just his that sudden start stop motion yeah but that was another scene where you'd seen him do the walk once you knew his routine and they just did it again and they all they changed was the environment his actions were the same it was i don't know there's something about that repetition <laughs> that it gets you involved as a viewer because you're like, oh, I know this. Yeah, and it's, then you it's can... interesting. It's exactly it's that moment in um, in Jurassic Park when she's like a Linux system. I know this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're clicking on the boxes. You understand it. Yeah, it's that's exactly what it is. The first twenty minutes of this film, I remember watching it for the first time. And being like, okay, where's this going? Like, they're really spending a long time setting this up. But then you realize the first twenty minutes of the film are the are the rest of the film. Like, it it mimics itself again. And what it does is it shows the normalcy of these guys' lives, and then the their lives with the zombie. And I love how the zombie apocalypse just creeps up on them. Like you 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 see Sean when he's riding on the bus, or when he's looking out the window, and he sees the guy try to you know bite the head off the pigeon uh while he's at while he's at his job you know he's looking out he's he's noticing there's a few things that are just not quite right but then he gets you know caught up by somebody else or a phone call or somebody walks into frame and says hey sean how you doing and then that stuff kind of bleeds off into the background and you know i feel like that's a metaphor too about how much stuff just bleeds off in the background because we're we're consumed with our personal lives and and our personal relationships and we just don't notice all the shit that's ha- that's going down around us i mean and this um, is 2004 so this is right before the iphone right when did the iphone oh come absolutely out? yeah so, i mean no, like think about iphone the didn't come out till 2007 2008 maybe yeah i mean distraction culture is just mm-hmm. starting like we haven't even begun to be distracted <laughs> by our phones yeah no there's so many callbacks i love it like uh, so when he's going through the channels at the store showing the cable package he's going through the same channels that we see at the end of the movie um you know when the city you can see the city slowly descending descending into chaos 
uh, there's one point where where you know Sean's girlfriend asks him, "Hey, what's the plan?" And he goes, "The Winchester." That's when he forgets to make the reservation. <laughs> but then later in the film, when the zombie apocalypse is happening and he busts into the apartment, she goes, "Hey, what's the plan?" And he goes, "The Winchester." <laughs> It's like it's a mimic of that, you know. At the beginning of the movie, uh, when we see him go over to Liz's apartment, and uh, and you know we, they won't let him in. He says, "Okay, well, I'll just hop up the back and I'll break in." And then later in the movie, when he can't get in, he hops up the back and he breaks in. Um, there's there's so so many things, so many things, uh, and uh, what else? What else here? Oh, the, so Sean's roommate, um. When he's pissed off at Ed, he's yelling at him, and he says, "Go live in the shed, you fucking animal." And then where does that where does Ed end up living in the shed? Uh, <laughs> Sean sees a kid who kicks the bottom. You're dead. Yep. And then yep. we see the kid later. The ball hits him, and the kid is dead. <laughs> is dead. And then yeah, and then after Ed, uh, after uh, Sean's roommate walks away from Ed after saying, "Go live in the shed," Ed says, "Next time I see him, he's dead." And next time he sees him, he's dead. This movie is so tightly packed. It's like a it's like a Lego structure of dialogue that just calls back upon itself over and over and over. It's intricate and it's beautiful. It's really, really beautiful. Um I'd also love to talk about kind of I think we should put this in the toolbox and look out for it, is the is the Edgar Wright humor. Edgar Wright slash Simon Pegg humor. And I think the thing that, you know, obviously callbacks are part of that, but I think another thing is the I say one thing and then the opposite happens immediately. So, <laughs> so like, you know, when uh, Sean's, in the, uh, Sean's in his electronics store and he's talking to the 17-year-old and he says, hey, man, you got to keep your personal conversations out of it. And then, boom, a phone sh- shoots in from, from the left of frame and he goes, hey, Sean, it's for you. And it's a phone call. Yeah, personal. Uh, and that was yeah. one I really liked. I went and watched the Every Frame of Painting, painting which, mm-hmm. man, a great way to kind of – that guy's doing what we do, but I think he does it in a much shorter time frame. <laughs> well, that guy's doing what we do if we were, like, amazingly talented movie <laughs> criticism, which we are not. We're good at chatting about films. That guy's amazingly talented at film criticism. But uh, anyway, but he talks about he talks about the – the Edgar Wrightism of things just interjecting suddenly from the side of the scene. And that yeah. was one shot that, and when it came on, I just, it is so funny to see things like that. And I'm trying to remember, there was a couple moments in the movie where it's actually, it's not so much just the moments of interjection, but a lot of things happen sideways. Like there are a lot of oh. swipe uh, transitions yeah, the kind of the whip pan, I think, is what I heard it called in an yeah. interview. No, totally. And something about those cuts make it. You know, we're talking about the speed at which things call back and the sh- and how dense the movie is. Those whip pans really make it feel like you're flying through the story, <laughs> and not like rush, not like a Michael Bay. We have to blow this up and get out of here. Yeah, sense, but. I don't know. It just it feels like you keep a steady jog through the whole movie, and the only time you slow down is really when he loses his mom, and even that yeah. is a slow, tense moment when David starts pointing a gun at people. 
Yeah, that was. Yeah, I, I'd love to get into the, the. There's some heavy, heavy fucking moments in this movie. Like, if you told me that there is a movie where a guy shoots his mom in the head because she's be because she's become infected with a terrible disease that could destroy everyone, uh, and then there's like a long drawn out scene where Liz and Sean basically talk about killing each other and how they're going to commit suicide. Um, and then Ed chimes in with, you know, I'm okay being eaten. You don't have to kill me as well. There's some heavy fucking shit in this movie. <laughs> and it resonates really strongly. I think the movie with Sean, or the, the, seg- the segment with Sean's mother, like, that zombie dread translates really well to drama. And I really like it in a way that I haven't seen it used, like, a lot in an emotional sense. But this idea of the point of no return, that you get bitten, and then you're fucked. You're a zombie. You're going to die, and then you're going to come back, and you're going to try to kill and eat everybody else. Like, that, using that as an emotional device is really strong, man. It's super strong, and it comes across really well in this movie. I loved it. Well, because how often do you get the opportunity to say goodbye to somebody before they pass? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's... I mean, it really only happens like at very end of life moments. Yeah. You know, somebody just gets very like, and at that point, even then, sometimes people don't get the chance to say goodbye until, you know, somebody is mentally kind of already transitioned. Yep. Absolutely. But I, you know, my grandma, she passed away from cancer and I got, we got, I got emotionally ambushed. She did a, a thing it was probably three or four months before she passed away, but where like the whole family got together and she had a a pastor friend there. And we basically had kind of like the goodbye moment. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's something I have, I didn't have for my other grandparents passing. And it, Uh. it is emotionally the most powerful thing I, I remember of that whole set. So I think, and I think it's an emotion that people pick up empathically seeing it in a movie. You, I think you think about who would, how would you say goodbye to those you love most? If you had that opportunity, because often it's so far past when the moment comes that we don't get it. I mean, but also the understanding the impending doom. I mean, we could talk about performances in this movie, but as a breakout role, Simon Pegg in Shaun of the Dead does an amazing job going on this huge emotional roller coaster where he has tears in his eyes, he's doing slapstick slapstick comedy, he's doing action. Like, he is a versatile motherfucker in this movie. Um, And yeah, this kind of idea that like, you get the opportunity to say goodbye to somebody, but also that their death is completely untimely. I think that cancer is a very, very strong correlation to that. I had a very similar experience with my own grandmother um, in her battle with cancer. And yeah, it's this idea that like when he hears that his mom is in danger, when he hears when his mom is going to die, this idea that, you know, as, as, you know, people, as, you know, I think he, this this idea that you know people have a different 
kind of relationship between their mother and their father, this idea that your mother, who's somebody who's always there for you and is there as kind of your protector and your provider and somebody who who loves you, and I'm just speaking from my own personal experience here, like the idea, and I've had nightmares about my mom dying, it's like a terrible, terrible thought. And I think that's why this kind of, you know, representation of, of your mom in peril is just awful because she's somebody who sacrificed everything so that you could have a good life. Um, anyway, speaking personally a little bit there, but Man, it, it came really, across really strongly. Yeah. And even with his stepdad, you know, the, the rep, the repetition about him not being his father, they, they set that up and they pound through it so many times that when Philip passes in the car and he start, you know, he says, you know, he tries to explain why he was such a hard ass. Yeah. It even that was an intense <laughs> moment because yeah, you under you at least understand. It may not have worked out, but at that point you're just like, "Come on." <laughs> I know, but that's the thing. It's like, yeah, you've been a hard ass your whole life, but now you're going to die in like five minutes. So you better make amends and you better make peace. And the guy that Philip decided he was going to talk to last was Sean and tell him that, hey, man, I'm, you know, I love you and I love you like a son, but it, I was thrown into this horrible <laughs> circumstance where you were 12 years old when I met you. And you had already grown up. So, I mean, it's really emotional. And then Simon Pegg is crying in the middle of a goofy fucking zombie comedy. Like, there's so much heart instilled in this. And even, you gotta hand it to him, guys. Even after he dies. And what's great is, you know, they bring you, they relieve the tension so well because the rock music mm-hmm. is going as he r- revives right. in the car and they all get out. <laughs> and Sean is, you know, emotionally, and I mean, he, crushes the, yeah. the sadness he really simon Pegg is fantastic at yeah. that swing and the he's like you know there's nothing left of your husband there and he turns off the rock music which he's yeah, been turns off the rock music and there's it's a just, little bit left it's yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no i love that scene and this is another opportunity though where diegetic or practical music works to the advantage of building character because of course when ed's cruising around in his jaguar pulling crazy wheelies in the middle <laughs> of the London streets. He's going to be pumping the most annoying hard music that he could possibly find. And then of course, Philip is going to turn that shit off. Turn that <laughs> shit off. It's such a great it's a great way to paint two different characters and wrap it around a crazy zany zombie apocalypse. It's <laughs> It's really good, man. This is this is why I love Edgar Wright. And I feel like he gets written off sometimes as just kind of like the goofy director or the goofy pop culture guy. But like he does really really interesting things to develop his characters, to build his story, to structure his dialogue, to find the heart in the middle of goofiness, and it's effective, dude. It's it's effective. That's why I love. That's what I love about Edgar. Do you that think? <laughs> do you think that Edgar Wright? You're talking about kind of his pop culture sensibilities. Do you uh-huh. think he will age well? Because there, are, mm. you think about shows like I Love the '90s, yeah. and some of that stuff just does not translate. Do you think he's able to? You know, now that we've gone through kind of 
the the trilogy with the mm-hmm. blood and cornetto and you know i'm not sure what his next act is he tried to do the marvel thing and that didn't quite work out for right reasons i'm sure are fairly obvious i think yep. that he just needs his independence is too important to him um yep. do you think he'll be able to to continue as he ages will he be able to maintain this level of authenticity I would be concerned about it if we didn't already have the example of QT. Because Quentin Tarantino basically just draws on 70s cinema. It's the stuff that he loved as a kid. And he's able to incorporate it in a stylized way that is uniquely his and that is accessible to his audience. Um, And it's commercial. It, It works on a large scale. He makes money. He makes money for studios. He makes money for himself. His movies are become a part of the cultural lexicon. Um, and I feel like Edgar Wright instills that in a very similar way. Yes, he does pop culture homages, but whereas in space he was doing like, hey, let's talk about Star Wars, which could be a conversation that could phase out from a generational standpoint. Where his homages lie, uh, they're more subtle and they reference, you know, things that that become kind of a universal mosaic of pop culture. So that's why I'm not too concerned about it, because I think he does do these things. And maybe Scott Pilgrim is, is a different example, because he does do a lot of like video game references in there. Although I think we're just at the nascent phase of video games becoming a ubiquitous piece of pop culture. Um, but I do think that the way that he pays homage to these things without completely, you know, being being referential of them or being blatantly referential of them, I think that he's he's going to endure. He's going to endure on. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, a um, <laughs> couple other things at the beginning of the film. I love it um, where he's where he's you know going through the day and then he gets drunk at night and like right before he goes to bed, his roommate throws his electro record out the window, which is a call out to like when they're going to throw the records at the zombies. And then he writes on the screen, he wrote, go round mums, get Liz back, and sort life out. He writes that on the fridge, and then the next day, he does exactly that. <laughs> so basically, at plot point one in this movie, Edgar Wright says, this is the rest of the movie. And then it happens, and you love it. Just good, good stuff. What was your favorite scene in this movie, Levi? Oh, man, that's a... Uh... All right. I should I should start writing that one down because you know I just I think through like so many of the good. Well, think think about it this way: when you think about Shaun of the Dead, what scene pops to mind? I mean, it's the the fight at the Winchester at the end, right? Yeah. I mean, between the the pool cues to "Don't Stop Me Now," yep. Um, then having the shootout, every it the movie the. It has the traditional movie climax, which I think we got in Hateful Eight, but we didn't get in many Tarantino movies just because mm-hmm. of his linearities were so kind of, you know, spun about. Um, but this one, to you know, you really do build to the Winchester. You know, you've seen zombies around. They haven't really fought them. They've whacked a couple along the way. But... Um, <laughs> You know, when they zombies start breaking in, they start actually killing people off. You know, his mom goes down, they get behind the bar, they light the bar on fire. 
the whole it's thing iconic. Is, yeah. They paint the Winchester as such a wonderful set that it's almost like the Death Star. <laughs> like it's you know, you're gonna go there at the beginning of the movie, you're gonna see Alderaan get blown up. Then you're gonna go there in the middle of the movie and you're gonna see Obi-Wan get killed by Darth Vader. Then you're gonna go there at the end of the movie and see it blown up by Luke. Like it becomes this kind of iconic center of the film. And we go to the Winchester three times throughout the course of the movie. We open on the Winchester. We go there for the for the commiseration as Sean is is uh, you know getting drunk over being dumped, and then we go there for the climactic end. Um, yeah, the Winchester is just a wonderful place. And I also love how they leverage like the no guns in the UK thing. Because, like, the Winchester is the only place that has a gun. In some ways, it is the Death Star, because it's the only place with the weapon. <laughs> you know? I wouldn't be shocked if that was intentional. If they intentionally... If they knew that. If Edgar yeah. Wright and Simon Pegg had joked about that at some point. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, yeah, it's, it's the Death Star. It's the place with the weapon, with the super weapon that can be used against... But not if, like, honestly... Sean has got to be envious of stormtroopers with their aim. Oh my goodness! I think that he nailed one. <laughs> he nailed one zombie in the head with twenty nine bullets. You know what though? Liz had this complaint at the start when they were throwing things at the zombies in the backyard because yeah. they miss half the time. Right. And I thought she was like, "Why could they hit a, a little bit more?" And I was like, "You know what? I dare you to have above." you know, 50% accuracy to the head <laughs> in real life yeah. on a moving yeah. target with, like, odd household objects. There's no way. It's well, really no. hard. And a gun is no different. Like, there's yeah. a reason you shoot for the middle of the chest because it's a much, like, you just, you're going to miss what you're pointing at. And so you want to <laughs> have a field around it that is still target. <laughs> Yeah, but that's the reason why there's there's also the reason, Levi, and you and I were both Boy Scouts. You made it a little further than I did, and congratulations <laughs> on that, sir. But So that means that we shot guns when we were kids, and you did shoot guns when you were a yeah, kid, right? Yeah, yeah, The Boy Scout camp? Yep. There's a reason why there's no sniper pistols. Like, a rifle is, is a lot more accurate, uh, because you could kind of line up the sights and, you know... I just felt like maybe maybe this is my American egotism coming through. I feel like if I had the rifle, I'd get more than one headshot on a zombie. I don't know. They're, it's they're a, not exactly it's also nimble. A Winche- like an old Winchester rifle. Like, yeah, I thought about that. If it did that. have sights, they're probably not calibrated. Yep. And Sean's not a mark. He's grew up in the UK. When has he ever touched a gun? <laughs> hey, man, he plays plenty of video games, and he's playing Time Splitters. I love which that means game. that he probably played the arcade version of Time Splitters, which is a really good, uh, for really good shooting arcade machine. Or no, is that? Am I thinking about You're a different one? Something I'm trying to remember what it's called. It's Time something else. Time Crisis is yes, what I think. There you go. Oh <laughs> man, nope. Does not correlate. Nice try. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Was a big scene for a lot of people. Um, uh, when we went on the forums, we posted on there. Doug L says, "Don't stop me now" is his favorite scene. Davy Mac says, uh, "You know, don't stop me now" is his favorite scene. Um, it's it's a pretty iconic scene, and I've had the song stuck in my head ever since. <laughs> I got to work this morning. I opened up Spotify, and the first thing I did was listen to that song because <laughs> it's been stuck in my head forever, ever since I watched this movie. But then he also uses it. The other thing about the diegetic and practical music in this in this movie is that he uses it to great effect. 
uh, and he uses the lyrics to kind of help him get to where he wants to go. Like the great part is like at the end, they're vamping on, don't stop me, don't stop me, don't stop me. And then at that point, <laughs> the bartender slams into the jukebox and gets stopped by the jukebox and gets electrocuted. Like it's just a funny thing of the Edgar Wright, Simon Pegg, we set something up and then we give you the exact opposite and it's this beautiful humor. Uh, the other uh, you know, time that I wrote down was that when they're sitting in the pub and they're getting drunk and Ed is kind of cheering up uh, Sean after he's been dumped, the last thing that Sean says is, it's not the end of the world. And then as soon as he says that, a zombie shambles into the <laughs> side of the pub. He goes, it just like poof, hits the glass. And yeah, by the way, it is the end of the world. So I, I love that. I love that part of it. Um, so I do want to talk about this, Levi, because I was listening to the other Bald Move podcast about Shaun of the Dead. You can check it out, Bald Movies, the Bald Movies feed. Uh, Aaron and Jim talked about this movie. They were talking about, would you rather have an American baseball bat or a British cricket bat in a zombie apocalypse? Cricket I'm, I'm bat, interested for to sure. Hmm. After, because I was going through photos the other day and I came across, do you remember that we played... Not actual cricket, but we had a cricket ball and a cricket oh, I bat remember with that. Jesse, and yes. we just yes. I mean, it was scary as hell. Those cricket <laughs> balls hurt, and that you just hurl them at each other. Oh yeah, I don't know how anybody plays a sport with those two things. But the well, heft... padding when you're the when you're the batsman. That's true. I wish we had had padding. <laughs> yes, but the heft of the cricket bat to me mm-hmm. seems like it would be more effective in skull crushing. Generally, I looked this up. So generally, a cricket bat weighs about a pound more than a baseball bat. But I'm still going baseball bat in this. I think the baseball bat is the optimal zombie apocalypse weapon. Because you get the precision with it. Like, I mean, I I play softball. Like, I have a pretty good composite softball bat, which I feel like would be very good in a zombie apocalypse. Because you don't have to worry about splintering like a wooden (laughs) baseball bat. And it's light, and it's precision-based. And I know how to swing the goddamn thing. I just feel like that extra pound of weight and the heft and the width could get a little wonky in places. You kind of got to wind up with it, which on a baseball bat, you could just straight-up swing, and you're and you're good. I don't know. I'm, I'm still leaning baseball bat in a zombie apocalypse. I mean, if I really had my druthers, I'd go with the... Uh, the what's the, uh, the ball on the string on the pole... I said really? Tetherball. I'd go with the tetherball pole. Oh, Dude, that was used spear. in this movie and immediately rendered useless. No, spear. Go the spear. spear. You want reach. <laughs> reach. Dude, that is true. Reach beats baseball bat or cricket. It just if we're I, going off the movie. <laughs> I completely forgot about it that I do have like two Maasai spears from Kenya that my dad gave me. Yeah, and those man. things are brutal. One to throw and one for show. Dude, those are brutal killing machines, those things. I mean, they're, they're specifically designed to kill lions, and I can totally imagine. They weigh like, they weigh, they're like, they're like a little heavy. They probably weigh like 15 to 20 pounds, and they're, they're beautifully balanced. And then they have giant razor sharp blades on either end. So you can just throw the thing and it lands face down with the razor sharp blade and it just slices through whatever. The the only experience I've ever had was throwing them in my lawn as a kid. And uh and yeah, they dug like you know 8 to 12 inches into the lawn. 
So I can't imagine what they do to a zombie. But the problem with the bladed weapon, in my opinion, this is a great tangent. The problem with my bladed with the bladed weapon, in 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 my opinion, is that it can get stuck. I feel like the blunt weapon is what you want in a zombie apocalypse because it's not going to get stuck in in the flesh. Mm. Well, you know? what you really got to worry about is if you watch the old Dawn of the Dead, one guy dies mm-hmm. over a blood pressure machine. So okay, that's really I mean the worst weapon. <laughs> a blood pressure machine? Yeah, they're because they're in the mall and they're the these bandits raid the mall and they're uh-huh. like beating up zombies and one guy is like sitting one of those things where you put your arm in and oh, it like yeah. squeezes okay, down. Now I know what you mean. And he does it with zombies around him, and he why go and he die. I don't know. It's weird. Second of all, you can get your arm out of the goddamn thing. I mean, it squeezes tight, but you could you're a, you're a human male. You could pull your arm out. <laughs> well, this guy did not escape. Uh, so, he probably deserved it. All right, speaking of zombies, man, zombie lore in this movie. Yes. So, a couple things that I can glean from the movie. The first thing when Sean goes to the uh, convenience store at the beginning of the film, he looks at the newspapers, and these are the headlines. Superflu, Havoc, uh, Mutilated Remains, and GM Crops Blamed, which tells me that this zombie apocalypse was caused by GMOs, buddy. Gen- genetically modified foods. That's because you're not listening to the radio where they talk about a shuttle breaking up over a populated area uh-huh. of London. They throw out a couple uh reasons for the for the cause of the zombie outbreak. They don't give well, you anything sh- definitive. The shuttle breaking up tells me that the the there were there were zombified remains on the space shuttle and who but astronauts would have genetically modified foods in order to preserve them in in the space climate. <laughs> so they weren't able to effectively uh, go through reentry and therefore broke up as they entered the atmosphere. I always subscribe to zombies are created because hell is full, and so the dead must walk the earth. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, you would. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, the other thing here is that the this is like a main thing in this movie is that if a zombie sees you enter a house or a dwelling. That zombie will pursue you in that house or dwelling until distracted. It's 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 Newton's law of zombies. A zombie in motion stays in motion until acted upon <laughs> by an outside force. That sounds you go about into right. a house. Yeah, you go into a house as a living being. That zombie is going to perpetually try to enter that house until uh, suggested otherwise by by potentially another outside force. Yeah, the um, only. The only issue with, I think, the Shaun of the Dead zombie lore is that acting like a zombie is sufficient to dissuade zombies. <laughs> I kind of like that, though. Because, like, why why should zombies have super sense? They can't even, they have no motor skills. Why should all of their other senses be heightened? Like, why should they be able to smell a, a living being? Because... Or why should... Why should they be able to see and discern a living being? All of their motor skills and all of their senses should be dulled. It's because it's an animal instinct. It's a it's the assumption that we are our senses are not as sh- you know we don't smell like dogs because that cognitive you know we're taking up so much horsepower with cognitive 
abilities. And so that by the loss of the cognitive <laughs> ability, you go animal, and therefore you rely on your sense of smell. Okay. I think that's but the Walking what? Dead's kind of... Because they're based I, on smell. Because you cover yourself in The Walking Dead, you yeah. cover yourself in zombie goop, and you're good. You don't have to really act like one. But the thing is, like, smell is an anatomical force. Like, we don't smell like dogs because dogs have developed over millions of years of evolution to have a heightened sense of smell anatomically. Like, it's weird to me that a zombie would immediately have a great sense of smell because, frankly, the olfactory system isn't there. Well, I suggest you stay away from 28 Days Later because those zombies are really going to screw with you. Still good. I, I, so I didn't have a, I actually didn't have a problem with the shambling, because I feel like they're mostly, you know, they're visual beings. They're humans, so they see somebody dodging around and acting a little fast and shifty, and they want to get at that. And I guess their only course of action is to pursue it, um, pursue it, uh, you know, with without any, uh, without any stoppage. They just want to go for it persistently. That's what the word I'm looking for. Um, and I feel like that works for me because their sense, their their vision is probably their keenest sense. Because I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I guess smell is is the sense that uh, that draws the most emotion and uh, and uh, recall. But vision is kind of what we do as humans in a lot of ways. I don't know. I think I was you've okay gotten, with that. I, it's zombie science. I think. <laughs> I don't know that why people yeah. debate it. I don't. <laughs> Who cares? If you want to debate something, debate why the Oscars have no minority actors or actresses nominated. I don't think we this really year. have to debate that. What the f- like? Seriously, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson did not get nominated. Oh. Like this is getting ridiculous, guys. I think that if they're going to extend Best Picture to ten nominees, they have to expe- extend the Best Actor or Best Actress categories wider as well. Because come on, guys, it's an embarrassment this year. It is an embarrassment. And a close second place is the comedy of the year was The Martian. Oh, so funny! And Joy I beat mean, out. It was funny, but not train a wreck. And and you wonder why I don't give <laughs> I don't give award shows very much credence. Yeah, I felt that this year's nominations have brought me around to your side. <laughs> It was ridiculous. It was crazy. Go on uh, the L.A. Times website. They have a breakdown of it that, that is extremely eye-opening. I would uh, I would in- encourage anybody to go over there. Um, what else do we want to cover in this zombie lore thing? Oh, oh. the final thing here. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, go, 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 go for it, Levi. <laughs> I did. There was one homage to Tarantino. I think it was very blatant. Oh, yeah. The use mm-hmm. of the N-word when Ed pulls up mm. in the car. <laughs> I don't know. So this is the thing, and I don't know how the N word because he does use it in the film. So let's let's acknowledge that. But he uses it in an extremely obnoxious, obnoxious way, and it comes after like calling people the C word. It comes after being irreverent. I feel like it was a way to build his character as somebody who just doesn't understand social norms whatsoever. Because Ed, frankly, is. Like I could almost smell Ed just by. <laughs> he's not, I mean he's a lovable guy. He's great comic relief, but the guy is not somebody that I would really want to hang out with a lot. And I don't know if I'm an asshole for saying this, but I really identified with Sean's roommate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
like if I had to go to work the next morning and it's three in the morning and they're playing techno music at top level, I would be like, fuck this so much. And if I had to wake up every morning and there was a random dude sleeping on my couch named Ed and he wasn't that random because he's been there for the last two years, I'd be like, what the fuck? Like, I would not be happy about that situation. So, yeah, I do think it paints paint, helps paint Ed's character as somebody who is obnoxious, but Sean loves him, man. He loves him. They're bros. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw another uh, Tarantino reference in this, though, as well, because there's a scene where uh, where David points the gun at Sean's mom. Oh, yes. And, Sean, my... and Sean goes, don't point that gun at my mom. And I feel like that was a direct re- reference to stop pointing that gun at my dad. And then we get a Mexican fu- standoff. And we get a Mexican standoff. They start breaking the beer bottles and they start shoving them at each other's necks. And we get a straight up Mexican standoff right after that. I was like, this is a Tarantino reference for shiz. Definitely. Cool. <sighs> this is a pretty goddamn good movie. Yeah. Levi, anything else you want to cover? No, I'm excited for Hot Fuzz. We can just watch that and just record that immediately next. (laughs) I got a weekend to take care of here, but uh, but uh, but yeah, we we this was a pleasure to watch. Um, It's really fun. Uh, I wanted to call out also Hatorian on the uh, on the uh, forums. He talked about how they used the line "We're coming to get you, Barbara." Barbara's David Sean's mom, and they're they're coming to get you, Barbara. Is a direct line from uh, from Night of the Living Dead. So great little tiny references in here as well. Um, but yeah, man, great movie, great movie, great fun, uh, great podcast, sir. Congratulations yeah. on this podcast. I'm going to salute you for this podcast. Oh, we got deep at the start. You know, it's it's a thing where you talk into a microphone and whatever comes out, people listen to. That's what podcasting's about. People listen so to this. Welcome. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Regardless, if not, at least I got to chat with you about this movie for a while. That's kind of what I'm in this really for. <laughs> no, that's true, man. When I was talking to... I was talking to my friend. She was talking about podcasting, and she was thinking about getting into it. And I was just like, your first question has to be, what is your motivation to podcast? Because if your motivation is to get a million listeners and to be Serial or WTF or Adam Carolla or whatever, more power to you, but <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. Like my motivation, my greatest, uh, my greatest moment so far doing this podcast a direct it happened to, uh, two weeks ago when I got to look at the direct feed on my phone and see Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill, and see this entire catalog of podcasts that you and I had done together covering the entire canon of Quentin Tarantino. And I was like, we did it. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's like, that's all I really want out of this podcast is to chat with you and to watch awesome movies. And we're doing that, buddy. So thank you for that. And thank you, fans, for not voting for Neil Blomkamp. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Next week, we got hot fuzz. Go to forums.baldmove.com. Chat about it there. Email us, directpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Cut. <laughs>